trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This is the place, as Brigham Young would say, this is the place where we gather to revel in wrong think. Kind of a necessity today, given all the misinformation and disinformation coming out there from the very people who supposedly are protecting us and, and uh, saving our minds from misinformation, disinformation, etc. Odd how that works. I think somewhere George Orwell is just looking on in, in incredulity going, wow. You know, it wasn't really a, a how-to manual. It was more of a warning, how to, you know, where, where this kind of thinking could lead. But here we are, making the most of it. I assume that uh, the reason you would even consider tuning into a program such as this is because at some level, truth matters more to you than approval, than comforting lies, than uh, the sense that everything's fine, even as the house is burning down around you. And the crazy thing about it is you're in a minority. You probably already knew that, right? You understand that uh, there just aren't that many people who are willing to be more attached to their principles than they are to the need for approval or the need to be right. What a crazy time. It's exciting, though, too, as you'll hear. We have some some wonderful things to discuss today, and I hope some, some enlightening things to share with you. I want to mention my sponsors who make this show possible on a daily basis. They include... HSLAmmo.com. Don't even think about it. Just click on the link and go buy some ammo. You'll be happy you did. Also, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and GarageDoorProServices.com. Happy to report Seth is actually going to be joining me on the program uh, coming up on Monday. Pretty excited for that. Nonetheless, let's jump right in here. It's no secret people and businesses continue to flee from high-taxing states to relocate in states that tax, uh, shall we say, less aggressively. Well, John Stossel says the easy way to avoid the federal income tax is to move to Puerto Rico. No joke. He says, you want to pay no federal income tax? Move to Puerto Rico. Really. If you move to the island, you can legally pay none. And there's also no capital gains tax. Now, this doesn't mean that it's totally tax-free. He says you, do have to, you just have to give 4% of your income to Puerto Rico. But his point is this tax break was started by a Puerto Rican politician who'd watched years of high taxes fail to improve life on the island. So he decided to try something different. And I guess it's a popular idea when people learn about it. Tens of thousands of people have applied for the exemption. Applications tripled last year. Now, maybe you'll recognize some of these names. Uh, YouTube star Logan Paul moved his show from California to Puerto Rico to take advantage of the tax deal. Investor Peter Schiff says, I did this for the obvious benefit of being able to keep most of what I own. It's too bad Puerto Rico didn't do this decades ago. They wouldn't be in the economic trouble they are today. A lot of people are moving down here, says social worker Melissa De Silva in John Stossel's latest video. Two years ago, she ran a therapy business in Rhode Island. Now she runs that business remotely from Puerto Rico. And she says, I'm saving 25% of my income. 
Now, she loves her new life. She says, I wake up, I have the ocean in front of me, I go out my back door, the rainforest is off in the distance. It's just a magical place to live. Now, Stossel says, given that this tax break is so big, it's surprising that most Americans haven't heard about it. Da Silva says, people just really don't talk about it much. There's this fear that people from the state side are going to come down and take over everything. And given Puerto Rico's history, that fear, she says, is justified. The Spaniards came and decided it's going to be their island, and they decimated all the native people. Then the United States comes down, and they decide, no, it's going to be our island. But these new Puerto Ricans aren't exactly conquerors. John Stossel says they're a mix of entrepreneurs, tax haters, crypto millionaires, and ordinary people who just want to keep more of their money. And by bringing wealth and skills to Puerto Rico, they create opportunity for Puerto Ricans. In fact, one report says they've already created as many as 40,000 new jobs. So he asked De Silva, if you don't pay taxes, aren't you hurting Puerto Rico? Her reply was, I do pay taxes and I provide other things as well. For instance, she sells digital art. She donates part of her sales to local nonprofits. Billionaire Brock Pierce moved to Puerto Rico and now helps run the, tour, the ch- charity rather Toys for Tots. He's also renovating a hotel abandoned after Hurricane Maria. That's expected to create 300 jobs. Others are building hurricane-resistant farms, tech companies, and schools. But there are those who see such investment as a problem. Can you guess who the usual suspects might be on this one? Yep, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez calls the tax incentive horrifying, saying it's an example of the continued colonization of the people of Puerto Rico. We're essentially importing a ruling class. Now, John Stossel says she seems to think that if someone makes money, others must lose if, as if there are only winners or losers. Now, that's zero-sum thinking. And it's true in politics, but it's not true in most of life. In fact, wherever markets are free, new wealth gets created, and then almost everyone wins. So De Silva has an answer to Ocasio-Cortez's zero-sum thinking. She says, all ships rise with the tide. Let's all grow with this. John Stossel says Puerto Rico has tried big government, strict regulations, high taxes on businesses, handouts to favored groups, heavy borrowing, declaring bankruptcy. But he says, I bet the tax breaks work better. So interesting. I And maybe I shouldn't be surprised in the least, but when I saw that uh, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez was, oh, I just think this is terrible. Why this is just, you know, they're importing a ruling class. They're exploiting the people. And I'm like, where have I heard this before? Exploitation of the workers. It's not fair. You know, we must we must make them all equal. Now, that means equally miserable, but, you know, I guess I'm not accusing her of outright being a communist. But I'm going to say she does kind of lean hard in that direction. And if nothing else, I think it's very clear that many on the political left have a peculiar soft spot for uh, either communism or maybe outright Marxism in that they want to eliminate as much personal liberty as possible. I mean, it's like they can't help themselves. They'll do it through taxation. They'll do it through uh, regulation and so forth. And by the way, word on the street is the IRS is uh, being prepped to go into beast mode. So when people are, you know, losing faith in the federal government and we're we're not going to obey this mandate and we're not going to obey that mandate and maybe we're starting to make some noise about, I'm not even sure that election was legitimate. How do we get the people back in line? Get ready. Because the IRS is going to be the whip that will be cracked over our heads to make sure now, 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 you better comply. You don't want to have to go through another extensive audit, do you? 
Now, for those who would be, you know, surprised or maybe even skeptical, now, nah, come on. Since when is somebody going to weaponize the IRS and use it against their political enemies? Oh, I don't know. Seems to me that's been going on for a little bit. Definitely under the Obama administration, that was a thing. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you, be ready. Be ready. Know, know this, that uh, you know the, the digital control of currency is something that is being looked at by a number of different governments around the world. In fact, most of the first world governments really are all in on this idea of we need some kind of central bank digital currency where we have absolute insight into every dime you make, every dime you spend, but even more so, the ability to apply a social credit score to whatever you're doing. And if you have habits like you eat too much red meat or maybe you're way into, you know, gun stuff or other things like this, uh, sports that uh, that burn too much carbon, you like to go race motorcycles, sorry, but, you know, they're noisy and bad for the environment, you know, they'll be able to limit you based on the, the highness or lowness of your uh, social credit score. I mean, there's another word we can use for this, and that would be electronic fascism, <laughs> but... That word tends to make people nervous in the sense that uh, they think fascists are anybody who waves a flag and anybody who uh, wants to be free. That's how twisted things have become. So what's the solution? Well, I'm not going to suggest, you know what you ought to do is move to Puerto Rico. Now, for some people, that might be the right, uh, the right move. I plan on staying put, but I also think that this may be a time to consider punching out of as many dollar-denominated uh, ways of, of storing your wealth as possible. Now, that's going to take different forms for different people. Some people might think, okay, I'm going to go into crypto. Some people might want to go into, you know, gold, silver, other precious metals. Some people may want to look at uh, property, especially farmable property. I can't tell you. I'm not a financial advisor, and, you know, you, you know best what risks you are willing to endure. But know this. Every dollar you have sitting in the bank is accessible not only by the IRS, but by others who have their fingers in the system and who, if necessary, would be more than willing to either freeze or seize that dollar from you, shrinking as it may be, in order to keep you in line ideologically. I wish I could say that's just, you know, some fevered fantasy. Ha <laughs> ha, maybe someday it'll be true, but it is true. Look at what happened to the Canadian truckers earlier this year. And then tell me, what, what would keep that from happening to you? Probably not a good idea to have more in the bank than you're willing to walk away from. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'd like to talk for a moment here about Garage Door Pros, a local company to St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, and Colorado City. That wonderful little corner of the American Southwest. This is a local company that installs, services, and repairs garage doors. And we're talking American-made garage doors. I know that matters to a lot of people. Bottom line is, Garage Door Pros will give you a quicker response, response rather much faster lead time than other companies can give you. And they're just great at what they do. I'm serious. Go to their website, garagedoorproservices.com. Look at what their customers are saying about them. I, I'm a big believer in the, the testimonial of people who have actually done business with a particular business. 
I think you're going to like what their customers have to say. That's garagedoorproservices.com. All right, where to go next? We know the economy is struggling right now, right? I don't think that's that's a surprise to anybody. Although, hey, it's been fun to watch gas get down below five bucks a gallon. Woo! Yeah, we're celebrating, you know, still paying more than double what we were paying just, you know, a couple of years ago. Anyhow, what if there was an economic misery index that actually helped us know where we stand? Look, the official indexes sometimes tend to leave out things like fuel and food and housing, you know, things that we need on a pretty much constant basis when it comes to measuring inflation or measuring, you know, how the economy's doing. Robert E. Wright, writing for the American Institute for Economic Research, AIER.org, proposes a Hank Williams Jr. Economic Misery Index. I like his thinking on this. He says, with smoke from the recent recession definition war still wafting in the air, I want to suggest that the American economy is in something, or America's economy is something in something much worse than recession or even stagflation. He says, I believe we are in a country boy economy. Now, he's referring to the 1982 country classic, A Country Boy Can Survive by Hank Williams Jr. In the first verse, for those unconversant, Hank sings that the interest is up and the stock market's down. Now, if you aren't in the markets, interest rates are indeed up. Yields on AAA municipal bonds, for example, increased 177 basis points between late 2021 and mid-2022. You can thank inflation and the Fisher effect for that. Moreover, he says, stock market indices are all down. The Dow by almost 13% between the start of the calendar year and July 27th. There you can thank stockholders predicting lower profits. But wait, there's more. In this song, Hank also sings about supply chain difficulties inducing country boys to make their own whiskey, wine, and cigarettes to go with their homemade catfish, venison, and tomato dinners. So while widespread fears about food supply disruptions have not yet occurred in the United States, the mere fact that the New York Times recently praised cannibalism is a tad troubling as are the recent farmer protests in Sri Lanka, the Netherlands, and now Canada, especially with the war in Ukraine still a hot one. His point is your Liberty Garden might yet pay off big. And yet more insights. Robert E. Wright says Hank also sings about crime. Specifically, you only get mugged if you go downtown. And for $43, my friend lost his life. Both property crime involving violence and murder rates have soared since 2020, reversing a long-term downward trend. And although the current crime wave is rooted in defund the police and bail reform policies, it's difficult to see it receding while the economy remains in the country boy crapper. If the country boy economy is too primitive for you, then uh, Robert E. Wright says, consider economist Arthur Oaken's misery index. Beloved by financial journalists like Wilma Sauce in the 1970s, it is just the sum of the unemployment and inflation rates. Now, that's a bit primitive, too, so macroeconomist Robert Barrow developed his BMI, or Barrow's Misery Index, in 1999. International economist Steve Hankey further modified the index about a decade later. Hankey's formulation, in that uh, economic misery is measured by borrowing interest, inflation, and unemployment rates, minus the change in real per capita GDP. I know, it's getting a little technical here, but the nice thing about MI, BMI, and HAMI is that they're scalar, not binary. So rather than the economy being miserable or not, the degree of the misery is being estimated. And a problem with them, though, is the way that inflation is measured at a technical level has changed. 
making it disingenuous to compare economic misery over time. Now, a new NBR working paper from former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers and two co-authors, though, suggests that some historical inflation figures can be adjusted to make them comparable with rates today. Now, Robert Wright says another problem is that the misery indices, like definitions of recession and stagflation, focus on unemployment to the exclusion of real wages. But he says real wages, real wage declines, rather, are painful. They're not fully captured by inflation alone. 10% inflation with a lockstep 10% nominal wage increase is obviously less miserable for workers than 10% inflation with a 5% raise six months later. And while one might think that in either case workers are better off than being unemployed, that isn't necessarily the case when unemployment insurance pays them a chunk of their former wage. The unemployed, after all, have time to set trot lines, skin bucks, mug people downtown, and engage in other economic activities that don't show up in official income stats. He says, I wonder if Hank Williams Jr. or some smart economist could build such insights into a new and improved economic misery index. Well, I like that song, so he had me at (laughs) at Hank Williams Jr. and a country boy can't survive. But it is interesting, isn't it? And, and look, you know, for, there are so some people for, um, who I'm sure that song is just like, oh, please. Country boy flexing on how we can survive. I got a, you know, shotgun, a rifle, and a four-wheel drive, you know. But I do feel a, a certain sense of uh, confidence around people who are more rooted in the simple things of life. I was actually having this conversation with my son last night. And it's, it's powerful to me how the simple things can help to keep us on track. And, and I'm, I'm referencing a, a letter that I, I think it was uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote this to Peter Carr. I want to say it was back in 1787. I could be wrong about the date, but I know this was from a letter that he wrote to Peter Carr. And Jefferson made the statement, state a moral case to a plowman and a professor. And he said, the former will get it right more often than the latter simply because he has not been led astray by artificial rules. And since we live in a, in a time where, you know, so much deference to the experts, and, well, are you taking that, to, does your truth come from somebody in authority, or is that something you just figured out on your own, as if, you know, that's something you couldn't possibly do? But I agree, I think a lot of people have been misled by artificial rules. And sometimes I think it's a, it's a really wonderful thing to see the simple things in life recognized by people who aren't so bogged down in artificial rules. So the gist of what Hank Williams Jr. is saying in A Country Boy Can't Survive, it rings true to me. Not because, you know, we're, we're all out there chewing on a piece of straw and leaning up against the pickup truck and you know, cussing them revenuers or whatever, but simply because... When you have the option of standing on your own feet, you can be self-reliant. You have options that that people who are dependent don't have. And it seems that the people who are most misled by artificial rules are the ones who are most determined to keep us misled by artificial rules and therefore keep us dependent on them, including to tell us what all those artificial rules mean. You can't possibly understand this. Only someone with the, uh, with the training of a lawyer, you know, a juris doctorate could tell you what these magical words mean. Or somebody wearing, you know, the frock of a judge could tell you what this means. Sometimes I wonder if we aren't being taught 
to deliberately underestimate ourselves, like we're a bunch of little broken children. You can't figure that out for yourself, so you just wait until someone in authority comes along to tell you what's okay and what isn't. All I know for sure is your freedom begins the moment you realize that you are the one responsible. No one is coming to save you. No one is coming to give you permission to live as a free man or a free woman. Your freedom starts the moment you realize, I will live as a free individual. And you start acting like one. That's a terrifying thought, by the way, to some people. They see that as, you know, Blackbeard the pirate, (laughs) slitting throats and, you know, going his merry way. You and I know better. It's simply taking responsibility for your life and stop asking permission for everything you want to do. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. A quick shout out here to HSLAmmo.com. Just having a conversation about precious metals with a friend yesterday. Kevin and I were talking about, you know, well, where do you, where would you put your money? And, you know, I'm, I'm not giving investment advice here, but I would say ammunition is actually a very good store of value. And it doesn't have to be a Mad Max scenario in order for this to be so. Ammunition is how you convert skill, convert money into skill, as in skill at arms. And that's a pretty desirable thing. Whether times are good or whether times are bad, that can put food on the table, protect your family. It's also a great source of fun to get out there and shoot. So consider when you're purchasing ammo next time around, hslammo.com. I would take it as a great personal favor if you do some business with them. Well, here's an idea that I hadn't really considered, but the more I think about it, the more plausible it sounds. The question is, is Western civilization being dismantled in an attempt to atone for its sins against the recently woke? Got a great article from James Howard Kunstler. This was published on LewRockwell.com earlier today. It's simply called Atonement. And I think he's got a pretty good uh, view of the big picture here. Let me know what you think. He says, as in the USA, the governments of Euroland have declared war on their own people. Boston, Massachusetts may be even more woked up than the Pacific Coast cities. And he says, by woked up, I mean susceptible to a quasi-religious frenzy that compels the performance of moral atonement scripts with an emphasis on obedience to experts, credentialed erophants, such as Dr. Anthony Fauci, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, Dr. Klaus Schwab, and the various distinguished authors of critical race theory. But he says it was still a bit of a shock last week to see the Boston Red Sox playing in sky blue and yellow uniforms in solidarity with the neo-Nazi failing state, Ukraine. In fact, he says, I'd be surprised if Xander Bogarts and Raphael Devers could find Ukraine on a map. So James Howard Kunstler says, newsflash to Boston, Russia's special operation in Ukraine is all over, in Ukraine rather, is all over except the shouting. Plus, nobody in the USA cares about it anymore, and if they do... Probably for the wrong reasons. The right reason to care is that the Joe Biden regime's insane campaign to destroy Russia has only brought Western Europe to the brink of collapse and ruin, thereby threatening the continuation of Western civilization altogether. Now, he says you don't hear much chatter about this emanating from, say, Harvard's Kennedy School of Government because apparently they're all in on the demolition of Western Civ. It's the ultimate act of atonement, 
an atonement for the sins of culture and politics in the currency for personal status in woke elitedom. America's elites are secretly disgusted with themselves, especially about all the wealth they've been able to grift out of all the racketeering that's replaced honest work in our country. And nowhere is the racketeering more grotesque or more pretentiously caparisoned than in the Ivy League universities. Status drives wokery because woke elitedom has more money than it knows what to do with. So just having a lot of money means less than it used to. Just ask Senator Elizabeth Warren. But he says, don't worry. Soon they will have a lot less money. Or rather, they will first they will have a lot of money that's worthless, and then they will have no money, like everybody else. The demoralizing inflation underway leads to the destruction of credit, and when enough credit is destroyed, there will be no money, since our money is based on credit. When that happens, see what your self-proclaimed moral purity will buy you. Now, he says the credit-driven money system is a metaphor representing the expectation that we'll always have more of everything. That was surely the consensus in 1913 when the Federal Reserve was born. 1913 was the last year of Belle Epoque, the beautiful era preceding the First World War. It was also the coming of age of economies based on oil. In that moment, Western Civ stood in amazement at its achievements and enthralled to its glittering future. The slaughter in the trenches of World War I shattered that confidence, nowhere more deeply than Germany, which afterwards lurched from the degeneracy of the Weimar Republic to the depravity of Hitler's Third Reich, and then from there, back to ruin in the Second World War. Today's woke elitedom of Europe, led by Germany, is deliberately driving the EU nations into a ditch without bothering to go to war. They certainly don't have the military mojo to prosecute a war with Russia, which is what they would be doing if NATO intervened actively in Ukraine. By the way, he says, that ain't going to happen. Instead, James Howard Kunstler says, they have torn up reams of trade agreements and imploded a richly constructed supply network of basic operating resources like oil, natural gas, minerals, and grains in an absurd act of atonement, in obedience to the experts at the World Economic Forum and the fiends behind Joe Biden. And lately, they're bent on destroying their food supply with cockamamie campaigns against their farmers in line with World Economic Forum hallucinations about climate change. As in the USA, the governments of Euroland have declared war on their own people. So Germans are scuttling around collecting firewood now, with natural gas looking scarce and unaffordable going into winter at the dark upper latitudes. Now he says, I would bet that there are close to zero wood stoves available at this point, and how many cold seasons will it take before they cut down all the forests of Europe? Meanwhile, Europe's industries and businesses disintegrate. The great reset at hand won't be der Schwabenklaus's transhumans nirvana, but rather a return trip to the 12th century. Now, James Howard Kunstler says, all this does not even include the forthcoming attrition among the vaccinated. We have succeeded in disabling and destroying the immune systems of many millions of people with mRNA shots. They are going to get sick from all sorts of things. A lot of activities will stop working, including the medical industry. So many of the injured and dying will not receive care. In this late summer interim, American Pharma says it's ready to bring forth new and improved mRNA shots, supposedly keyed to the latest emerging variants of the C-19 coronavirus. Kunzler says Pharma and its enablers in the NIH-CDC matrix actually have no idea what variants are coming. Nowhere is nature more of a trickster than in disease organisms, and you can be sure that their new vaccines will be more shuck and jive. At any rate, he says... No one believes them anymore. 
Few are lining up for boosters and few par- fewer parents are dragging their kids and babies to the shotmeisters. What remains to happen and probably will by summer's end is a massive uprising of the non-woke against the woke elites and the end of their insane depredations. They can atone all they want at their trials and executions. Yeah, he pulls no punches. I probably should have warned you. This one's going to go right for the throat. <laughs> but I don't think he's wrong. But I, but I do question. I, okay, I, I'm going to be a bit of a pessimist here. Just based on what I have seen in terms of the willingness to just flat out lie, change definitions, do everything possible to shift the goalposts, goal rather, and to keep us so busy fighting amongst ourselves that we don't look at the uh, systems and the individuals and organizations that are trying to rule us based on the depravity that I have seen from the, uh, the ruling class, for lack of a better phrase, I honestly believe they are wicked enough they would start World War III. They would start a hot war with two or more nuclear-armed countries just to cover their sins, just to cover all the stuff that they foisted on us in the course of uh, COVID and, and the aftermath. Now, that sickens me. I don't say that with, you know, any sense of satisfaction like, yeah, and then you're going to see how right I was. And, you know, all those who criticized me will rush and drown themselves lemming-like in the sea. I'd much rather be wrong about this kind of stuff, but I think they're very desperate to hang on to power. And I think that they know they've, I, I believe that the ruling elite know they've pushed too far, too fast, and that people are beginning to become angry and put their feet down. I mean, come on, why else would they be pushing so hard right now? For instance, in... Congress to try to enact assault weapon ban legislation. They know that the reckoning is coming. And I'm talking about, first of all, a reckoning at the ballot box. Whatever they did in 2020, whether it was the way the media covered things, whether it was the way that, uh, you know, the votes were counted, whether it was some other form of meddling, Zucker, Bucks, or whatever. There are plenty of reasons for people to, to question whether the integrity of our election system is intact. And not just on the on behalf of Donald Trump, but I mean across the board. If you can't trust your vote to matter for anything, then really, can you trust the people in power? Can you trust that they're legitimately there representing you or that they're just, you know, going through the motions and, well, uh, this law looks legit now and you have to do what we say? Bullcrap. <laughs> Look, I didn't vote for communism. And even if you did, I am not going to go along with communism just because you voted for it. So we're setting ourselves up for some kind of, you know, there's, there's going to be an impasse at some point. I don't believe that the people who are currently in power and who are seeking even more power and control are going to recognize their defeat and give up. I would like to see them put on trial, particularly the ones who prosecuted lockdowns, the ones who sent police out to arrest people for walking outside their homes or for not wearing masks or some other asinine thing like this. I'd love to see them answer, like in a criminal proceeding, sitting there, you know, on the stand, having to take questions and really answer for their actions. But I don't think they're going to allow that to happen, and I think they will burn the house down first in order to try to preserve their power. Maybe we should be focusing on what we can do to strengthen our own positions so we don't need their help in any way, shape, or form. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. I'd like to thank lifesavingfood.com for being a sponsor of my program. I've got a link to their website right there in the show notes. I encourage you to please check them out for yourself. There is real peace of mind that comes from knowing you are prepared for uh, any unforeseen circumstances, whether they be big, small, the apocalypse, or just, you know, minor inconvenience. It's a good feeling to know, hey, I've got options. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not down and out. Check them out for yourself, lifesavingfood.com. So I've been thinking a lot throughout this week about uh, all the people who managed to resist the almost irresistible pressure of falling in line, getting the vaccine, wearing a mask, buying into the whole COVID narrative. And, you know, my respect for those who, who have withstood that, uh, that psychological pressure, that respect is immense because I don't know that there has ever been a more uh, focused psychological campaign or psychological warfare campaign in our lifetimes. It's astonishing. And by the way, I'm not condemning anybody who got the shot. I understand that people were in a lot of different circumstances. Some people really had their backs against the wall and felt like, I just, I have to do this. And the people who have stood firm and the people who have said, nope, I draw the line and I'm not going to, I'm not going to be pushed across that line. Most of them have paid a price in some way, shape or form. But at the same time, you don't, no matter what you give up, sometimes it's friendships, sometimes it's jobs, sometimes it's opportunities. Whatever that price is, there is something very joyful about questioning the official narrative and recognizing when the official narrative is trying to steer you astray and realizing, hey, they're not, gonna, they're not going to manipulate me with this misinformation. It's a good feeling. Doesn't necessarily make you feel superior to anybody else, but... You at least can have confidence. You know what? I can trust my senses. I can trust my powers of observation. And I can trust myself to think through, ask the right questions, and get the answers that I need to make an informed decision. Of course, that can be a little bit tricky if there are some things that you're not allowed to question. I've got a great article here from Edward Ring. This is from AmericanGreatness.com or AmGreatness.com. The big lies we cannot question. I think you're going to recognize a lot of these. Now, Edward Ring says the biggest lie is to suggest that the Republicans are spreading lies and misinformation and the Democrats are not. And here's the example he's talking about. He says the following was posted on social media recently by a widely respected California-based journalist. Quote, I don't like being an alarmist, but the epidemic of misinformation is becoming critical and increasingly dangerous. It was bad enough when we had a lying POTUS, but now it is clear that it's become a political tactic of a large part of one of our main political parties. And if one major party can get away with mass lying, so can the other one. So I fear that this will spread across ideological boundaries, end quote. Now, Edward Ring says, look, it's fair to say this reflects a majority opinion among journalists throughout the American media, and it invites a response. This journalist accuses one of our main political parties of engaging in mass lying. Now, obviously, this person is referring to the Republicans and obviously blind to the lies promulgated by the Democrats. The biggest lie allegedly spread by Republicans, now called the big lie, is to claim the 2020 election was illegitimate. 
But even if the 2020 election was not compromised due to a relentlessly hostile and partisan media or endless political persecution designed to damage Donald Trump's re-election campaign, or voting rules that were violated and manipulated in swing states and Zuckerbucks and possibly much more, this assertion still isn't a Republican lie. For better or for worse, there are diverse opinions within the ranks of Republicans. In other words, some think it was a stolen election, and some don't. But no such dissent exists among Democrats over some of the biggest lies ever told. The lies Democrats unanimously affirm with the active complicity of almost every major American institution are treated as background facts. And to deny any of them is to spread misinformation. They become the premises upon which reports are prepared, decisions are made, debates are framed, and policies are imposed. They're so ubiquitous that if you're not a skeptic, you don't even notice. Collectively, though, he says, these lies are destroying our civilization. And I love the one he chooses as an example here. He says, perhaps the biggest lie in terms of how it's going to change the process or damage rather the prosperity and freedom of Americans is the so-called climate emergency. Almost every major news network now devotes a significant portion of its headline content to what used to be relegated to local television weather reports. Once in a great while, a massively destructive hurricane used to dominate national news. Nowadays, every major heat wave and every big storm is heralded as evidence of devastating climate change. Now, he says these events are often tragic and should never be trivialized, but the implication is that any measure, no matter how draconian, is justified to supposedly stop them. Now, Edward Ring says the reality of climate change is not in dispute. The climate is changing, but the big lie is that we face a climate emergency. That lie, in turn, he says, is built on many lies. Anthropogenic CO2 is the sole cause of climate change. The most likely climate scenarios are catastrophic if we don't act now. Weather has never before been this extreme. Renewable energy is more sustainable and climate-friendly than conventional energy. We can accomplish dramatic reductions in CO2 emissions without destroying the American middle class. These are all lies, right? It's feasible to replace fossil fuels. Humans will have to be concentrated in cities because that's more climate-friendly. Other nations will follow our example regardless of the consequences. People who question the climate emergency are deniers and should be marginalized if not prosecuted. Global warming is certain to cause more harm than good. Now, Edward Ring says, look, an honest fact checker would rate every one of these assertions as mostly false. But these lies are necessary for politicians, backed up by opportunistic industries, aggrandizing public bureaucracies, and fanatical zealots to further their interest at the expense of the American people. These lies are not subjected to even the mildest objective scrutiny by America's media or academia, much, le- much less the withering, hopelessly biased analyses those same journalists and academics use to debunk any challenges to the integrity of the 2020 presidential election. Edward Ring says partisan journalists claim to be concerned about mass lying, but their ideological bias prevents them from questioning the lies they believe or considering the truth in things they don't believe. Now, he says another assortment of big lies is in the Democratic adherence to woke race and gender ideology. Some of the many lies attended to this ideology include 21st century America is systematically racist against people of color. America can have open borders without reforming its system of welfare entitlements. A colorblind meritocracy is racist. SAT scores are not predictive of success in higher education. Mathematics and engineering pedagogy is racist. 
White supremacists commit the majority of hate crimes. Incarceration of criminals does not deter crime and reduce crime rates. Men can menstruate and have children. Women women can have penises. Teaching five-year-old kids they can choose their gender does not confuse them. Gender-affirming puberty blockers are a legitimate medical treatment for children, and the list goes on. Now, if the big lie of climate emergency will leave Americans destitute and without their freedom, the big lie of woke ideology is going to destroy American culture. Maybe that's the intent. Underlying most of the woke lies is the notion that cultural norms and expectations don't matter or do more harm than good, and that instead the most important goals for a society should be to achieve equality of outcome across every institution and at every level and to avoid offending anyone. That is impossible. A vivid example of woke ideology personified is Sam Brinton. This man has decided that he can publicly flaunt his revolutionary sexuality while simultaneously performing his role as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition in the U.S. Office of Nuclear Energy. It isn't necessarily Brinton's choice to live as a non-binary that's the problem. It's that he chooses to dress in a manner that he knows will distract nearly anyone with whom he has official interactions from issues that involve the security of nuclear waste to instead notice the bright red lipstick he's applied immediately beneath his thick mustache. Now, if Brinton wants to be an LGBTQ activist, he should do that. It's still a free country. But it's selfish and unprofessional for him to make sure the first thing people notice about him are his eccentricities when he has a serious government job completely unrelated to his sexuality. That's pretty good, pretty good logic, actually. Now, Edward Ring says the biggest lie is to suggest that Republicans are spreading lies and misinformation and Democrats are not. He says, in any healthy democracy, you're going to have hyperbole emanate from every side. And our media, backed up by our once trusted institutions, are doing everything they can to marginalize as hyperbolic and untruthful the political party that's still dedicated to preserving our prosperity, freedom and culture. So, at the same time, they're promoting countless harmful lies that constitute the base currency of their partisan favorites, the Democrats. By the way, I think I would agree with him or disagree with him mildly here. I don't trust the Republicans either, but I do agree that uh, the bad stuff tends to happen faster when the Democrats are in power. Both of them are very addicted to power and will lie when they feel it's in their interest. But the bottom line is you and I need to be on our toes and we need to be capable of spotting and rejecting this misinformation. I know you're up to the task. This is The Brian Hyde Show.